Hello, TTB community. I am Bob DeMena, and here with me, as always, is the incredibly clubbable Elliot Chibley. <laughs> what? Is that a good one? So, what so does that club- even mean? Clubbable. Suitable for membership of a club because of one's sociability and, pl- and popularity. Ah, yeah. Interesting. I That's not what I was thinking. That's a weird word, right? For that. Um, yeah. You, anyway. you ever see the the this could be a complete off topic already and we're not even into the episode but you know how important commas are like stop clubbing yes comma baby seals yes but if you remove the comma then it's stop clubbing baby seals right yeah it's very important distinction yes it is it is grammar is there for a reason so for the podcast back to the podcast so each weekly we like to bring you insight from travel authors comma adventurers comma (laughs) conservationists digital nomads tour guides and some of our very own personal travel experiences this month we're bringing you the travel bites episode uh where we like to reflect on the previous month's travel related news that we found enjoyable if you're listening to this and you have found travel news interesting that we don't touch up on on the podcast, feel free to send it to us in an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram. And we'll actually throw that into a future episode and, and give you a shout out and thank you for the submission. This month's Travel Bites, we've got a massive blob of seaweed. we got a Pentagon UFO chief saying that there's an alien mothership in our solar system possible. <laughs> uh, we talk about Bali and mopeds, talking about Nepal and solo trekking getting into uh, what tourist rides do to an elephant. And then a state park in Arkansas has some exciting news. And then the last two articles are about the recent Mexico travel warnings. And then the last one is several near collision incidents on runways in the US. And travel tip of the episode is don't wait to travel. If you have the time, if you have the money and you have the ability to travel the world, just go. Uh, Sometimes you can't wait for friends or family to be ready because sometimes they never will be. And if they aren't making an effort, you just got to make the decision and go. Traveling solo or is fun, but you can often oftentimes find group trips through uh, what is the one you did, Kentucky? Kentucky, yeah, yeah. And it was one of my favorite travel tri- like trips ever. Yeah, and then I think REI has a few trips that they do, uh, Patagonia. But there's plenty of things out there for all ages and all travel preferences, so just do it. Uh, Before we get started, if you like us and find this podcast entertaining, please consider giving us a review on iTunes if you love us. We would be forever grateful if you could subscribe to the show and share some of our recent social media posts as a story on Facebook or Instagram or both. And remember that we do post images from the episode and do that to our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter every week. So we encourage you to give us feedback and ask us any questions that you have for the conversations in the future. Lastly, please consider some of the awesome travel products that we offer. How do you organize and plan your trip? So if you like to keep your trip organized like we do, you can use the travel journal and planner that we developed for our very own personal travel experiences. This will allow you to record things like the dates, the budget, the top destinations, the currency exchange rate, the time difference. It has a fillable calendar and it provides you the ability to write out your entire itinerary by the hour. In addition to that, it has a place to store reservation information, a packing list, a to-do list. And then at the very back, it offers you space to journal about your trip. You can find this travel journal planner on our products page, and once you download it, you have it forever, and you can reprint and refill it out for every trip you have moving forward. Now, if you do decide to purchase this, we encourage you to reach out to us with any tips to make it better.
To help compile all of your info for the journal slash planner, we turned ourselves into cartoons to create a five-part video course that provides a step-by-step -step process to create the ultimate itinerary, including number one, navigation, number two, booking airfare, number three, blogs, research, and reviews, number four, itinerary building, and number five, safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. The goal of this video tutorial is so that you can become your own personal travel agent and learn how to be planned efficient trips now and forever, all the while saving you money to splurge on a nice meal or first class seat for your next adventure. Yeah, and now, so if you still think that planning your trip is a little bit too much or you just don't have time to sit down and actually do it, I can personally plan your trip for you using all the information that we just mentioned. If you're interested in this, please send me an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or visit our service pages on our website and we can meet over Zoom to discuss the details of your trip. You want to contribute to the podcast? If you work in the travel industry, you can join us for a travel around table discussion by submitting your information through the TAT form on our website. You can also send us a travel article via direct message or at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com for the monthly Travel Bites episode. Support us by wearing us. Go to redbubble.com to find awesome gear and merchandise of the Traveler's Blueprint. Some of the cost comes directly to us to help support the podcast. We definitely recommend the hoodie and the hat and maybe a sticker or a travel mug. Whether you purchase a product from us or just want to learn about travel alongside us as we interview our guests, know that we greatly value your support as a listener of the show. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. So if you did not know, there is a size or there is a, a raft of seaweed moving towards the United States, and it is the size of the United States. It's currently in the Caribbean. And <clears throat> yeah, this is this is apparently a phenomenon that happens every year. But because we're experiencing warmer temperatures earlier in the season, they're realizing it that it's happening earlier. And I, there's really not a whole lot to get into here. I just found this fascinating, though, that you have this United States. Yeah, it's a, well, it's a, like a United States sized ecosystem of seaweed, <clears throat> of fish, <clears throat> sorry, um, different eggs. Uh, it, it's a habitat all on its own. And as it gets closer to land, bits and pieces of it wash up onto the beaches. And that can cause a lot of issues for. The people who occupy the beaches, apparently when it starts to decompose, it lets off hydrogen sulfide gas, which is like that rotten egg smell that when inhaled in high concentrations can cause lung irritation, headaches, and things like that. So I do believe that the authorities along like the, the from the Florida Department of Health who monitor the beaches are actually going to try to figure out a way to mitigate it. Um, but that's a lot of seaweed to mitigate. And so- A ton of seaweed. I feel, yeah. I feel like this- is the first time I've heard of it. And in all my years of being on this planet, I feel yeah. like I should have heard of this earlier. Yeah. So the name of the seaweed, I guess, I guess we should say that is uh, from the genus sargasm, not sarcasm, <laughs> sargasm. I'm going to, I'm going to see what a picture of this stuff looks like. It's like okay. that brown kelpie stuff. Yeah. It's like the kelpie stuff with the little balls attached to it. Yeah. Oh, wow. And there's pictures of it, like people just shoveling it by the, wow. If you just type it into Google and look at S the images. S-A-R-G-A-S-S-U-M. A lot of the pictures are of people shoveling it off of the beaches. Oh, I could absolutely see how this could be an issue. 
I mean, yeah. you, yeah, you can't use the beach if enough of this stuff washes on shore. So yeah. Interesting. So if you're down there in Florida, uh, take a picture of it and send it to us. We're curious. Very up next is the Pentagon uh, issued an article or a report back in 2017 that there may be an alien mothership in our solar system sending out probes. Uh, this, The article or the report is very real from the Pentagon. You can find it and look at it yourself and read through it. Uh, before we even get into this, it is still incredibly speculative. But the fact that the Pentagon issued something about alien motherships being a possibility in our solar system is just fascinating to begin with. Yeah, man. Like I don't. So, I don't know what to think of that whole situation. Well, really, it comes down to what the definition of a UFO is, right? Unidentified yes. flying object. It just means that there's. We don't know what it is. So then, well, did they just change that designation too? Oh, they did. Yeah, but but what the United States Air Force has been finding, and you could watch these videos. So you have these U.S. fighter jet pilots flying through the air over the United States. And they're encountering these these flying objects that essentially appear to be defying the laws of physics, going up and down at radical speeds, um, maneuvering in ways that are unknown to any aircraft that exists uh, currently. And you can watch these guys follow it, question it, talk to one another and see if the other one sees it. And then it sort of just disappears. And there's no explanation for what these things are. Um, I don't think they're aliens. I don't know what they are. Um, yeah. But the fact that the United States government is now saying, eh, let's not rule it out. <laughs> you know, let's just let's just keep all possibilities open. And, you know, yeah. but the, the, the really weird thing is that they called it out as being a potential mothership that is deploying probes. That is oddly specific. To Very. Say, right. Yeah. Like, it's not like, oh, here's this thing and we don't know what it is. They specifically said, so scientists dubbed the object, oh man, Oumuamua. It's the Hawaiian word for scout. And they, they're calling that a possible mothership with probe capabilities. I don't know. It's probably uh, Russia. Yeah. It's Russia or China, you know? Or or <laughs> a, a potential like super secretive military project that not right. even the Navy knows about. Right. The Air Force pilots do yeah. not have the clearance to know like whatever this this new generation of United of American, you know, uh, uh, tactical warfare is with like aerial use. I don't know. But uh, it, it's it's super interesting that this is just openly being discussed because alien talk used to be for the weirdos in, you know, the the Washington and Oregon woods who like caught pictures on their, you know, their fuzzy cameras in the middle of the night. And now you have, oh no, I'm sorry, Oregon and Washington. Those are the Bigfoot people. Yeah. The, the yeah. alien people are think, like the I think Midwest. Big feet is plural. Yeah. <laughs> the alien yeah. people are are like Nevada and stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Roswell, Area right, 51. Right, um, right. So fun fact, UFO, if you didn't, for the uninformed, is United or Unidentified Flying Object coined in uh, 1952 along with Flying Saucer in 1947. Uh, a UAP, that is what... They are now basically, and it is an unidentified anomalous phenomena. Okay. I guess much UFO easier to say turned into essentially being synonymous with aliens. So they had to come up with like a new term. Yeah. Right. Cause they use UFO for like uh international spacecraft that they're like, 
they don't know what it is. They'll just say mm. that's a UFO. So the the lexicon is different now because they want to use UAP to specifically say something that they can't understand why. So so let's just quote the Pentagon here. With proper design, and 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 they're talking about these UFOs, these essential probes. So with proper design, these tiny probes would reach the Earth or other solar system planets for exploration as the parent craft passes by within a fraction of Earth-Sun separation, just like Amumamu did, the authors explain. So astronomers would not be able to notice the spray of many probes because they do not reflect enough sunlight for existing survey telescopes to notice them. Just kind of a crazy thing to read from the Pentagon. And um, if you do want to see some of the footage of these pilots and what they've experienced, you can just type in like Navy pilot flying. I think one was in 2017, one was in 2007. They're super like just, just pretty crazy videos. And um, I'm pretty curious to see how this all plays out. I, but I yeah. do kind of agree. I think it's some sort of unknown technology. Yeah. And it may be another... 20 years before we find anything out, or we may yeah. never find anything out. Right, right. All uh, right, back so to Earth. back to Earth, back to Bali. Uh, Bali wants to ban foreigners from renting scooters and motorbikes, and it's just because of the way foreigners are treating and using those motorbikes and scooters within the city. So I think that they are looking at just raising the age limit of tourists that would be able to rent a scooter or a motorbike and they say that would actually solve a lot of the issues because i guess people just use them kind of willy-nilly drive them anywhere they want and are kind of reckless yeah I, I actually knew a girl um who rented one in there and she was involved in a very very serious accident while on a scooter she was in the hospital in bali for a few weeks um and eventually i was like recovered and then sent to a hospital back she was from uh europe somewhere so yeah, yeah. Uh, dangerous and it is like it, it has that like party cancuny atmosphere too so it's not like yeah. it, it's the whole vibe i guess of the experience of bali was get drunk get kind of wild get a scooter drive around yeah you're you know you're living in one big party but no it's a city it has its own traffic laws and uh this is right kind it's of a the push. it's the cancun or puerto vallarta of australia that's yeah that's how we've talked about it before on the yeah. podcast um What's interesting, and I don't know if it's just the rise in travel in general, because middle classes are expanding, you have the Chinese travel boom, but Amsterdam is another one that's like banning the red light district now, because or I'm, I'm banning tourists from the red light light district. And I'm wondering if it's because a lot of these places don't have a quantity issue, that they're now able to really start to uh, monitor and control how tourists operate because they know that they're getting such large numbers. Whereas if Bali needed tourism, they probably wouldn't be cracking down on things tourists do. I don't know. Yeah. Just a, just something to think about. Now, maybe but, we'll have to do like a deep dive in all of the cities of the U.S. that offer uh, public drinking laws. What's that? Like, like you can like open, open container laws. Oh, Because okay. open containers are generally associated with higher tourism. Right. Um. Yes. So I know off the top of my head, the waterfront area of Savannah, Georgia, uh, New Orleans in um, like Bourbon Street area, Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of bans, Nepal, Nepal to some, um, is banning solo trekking in the country, essentially because it's too dangerous. People are getting lost and people are getting hurt. 
Um, yeah. What do you think? Specifically, 2019 to 2020, 390 tourists were reported lost or missing. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, Nepal is truly, is, it, the entire country is a mountain. Right. And some of the most dangerous mountain regions on the planet, right? Like, it's yeah. it's not easy terrain. And no. I have I have no issue with this. I think this is very smart. I think Nepal is going to, I think, A, it's going to make it safer for solo trekkers because people can still solo trek with a guide. So it's not just themselves, but a local guide, um, varying ranges of experience, but at least they have someone that can make sure they're not going to get lost out there or succumb to nature. Yeah. In, in 2019, 171,000 trekkers went to Nepal, 46,000 46, of them were solo trekkers. So I think it makes sense. And and yeah. could you imagine being alone when something like the earthquake occurred in 2015? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, just alone, alone, not even with a few but friends, just by yourself, by yourself and just experiencing one of the most devastating earthquakes that country I think has ever experienced. So yeah. yeah, I'm not a big solo trekker guy. I've hiked alone. I haven't mountain climbed alone. No. Yeah, I think the allure of trekking alone is is there for sure. Like doing the Appalachian Trail alone is certainly something that I thought would be interesting, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But again, um, that's not that's not the same as hiking through Nepal. Nepal no. and and going through um the Himalayas. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, next one, in case you didn't know, don't jump on an elephant in Thailand. And, you know, I shouldn't say that in that like sort of sarcastic way where I assume everybody should know. I did it when I was younger. I regret it heavily. It, when you're there in Thailand, in Bali, in wherever, uh, and they're promoting it, you're sort of in the moment of your trip and you want to believe that these companies are doing the right thing and they're taking care of the elephants and they do everything they can to make it appear as though they actually are. And they're not, uh, elephants are not meant to be ridden. And one of the things in the article, it specifically says it's important to understand that elephants, unlike horses are not bred to be ridden. Very true, very simple, but like, I don't know, something that I just didn't put together on my own. Um, that made a lot of sense. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, if you if you want to recap and you want to understand more about elephant riding and just elephants in general and how to take care of them, sanctuaries for them, we did an entire episode on it. And it was actually one of our earlier ones, episode 50, entitled The Elephant Project. And it is still very relevant, even though it's about two or three years old at this point. Yeah, that one that one's pretty timeless. And the reason we brought this up, I guess I should say, the Wildlife Friends Foundation in Thailand posted a picture of an elephant, a female elephant that's 71 years old. And the spine of this elephant has become so disfigured after 25 years of working in the tour tourism industry um, because she, it says she was carrying like six people at a time oh for 25 God. years. She has scars all over her back. It, it, it's truly torturous. It is a form of uh, like animal slavery. The good way to go about it, and we talk about that on the Elephant Project, are just to find the sanctuaries and not the tourism parks for riding them. Yes. And then our second to last, art or sorry, our third to last article here, Big Ugly Diamond, another one discovered in the Arkansas State Park, or sorry, the crater of diamonds state park and in it's arkansas. just 
Yeah, it's awesome. Um, a 3.29 carat brown diamond. The guy actually didn't think it was a diamond at first until he kind of washed off. He realized it was very shiny, unlike some of the other stuff that he had picked up recently. Um, but there have actually been quite a few diamonds found in this park, which is probably why it got its name. Um, and you are allowed to keep the diamond if you find it. Yeah, this guy specifically, his name is Anderson. Uh, he said his first diamond he found was 1.5 carats. And then since then, he's found 400 diamonds. Yeah. Uh, at one point, people have one person found a 3.83 carat yellow diamond and a 6.19 carat white diamond. How much? That's is huge. Like a, what are the? I don't know how much diamonds are worth, but yeah, that sounds... Like you can make decent money, right? Six point. Let's go into how much is a six carat diamond? Well, you got to think that you're looking at the raw diamond, uncut, unpolished. Uncut, right. Yeah. Right. There's so, still... I yeah, it's probably half the value of like a six carat or less. You think so? So you yeah. think you think it's yeah 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 whatever. But it's still a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And it all depends on like the the clarity and the quality. Right. But I don't know how much a 3.29 carat would be worth. Are you looking it up? I'll look it up right now, Bob. Do it. Do it. I'm very curious. If it's worth enough, I'm going to drive to Arkansas tomorrow. <laughs> start uh, start digging. Okay. I mean, I just found a 7 carat diamond for $103,000. So... Yeah. And again, that's cut. That's cut. Yeah. Yeah. So a 3.29 carat cut with equality VS1 GIA serve all that stuff is 83,000. Okay. So he might have found a $50,000 diamond ish yeah. or or 40 cuz once he cut it it's probably going to be down to like 2 carats. Not not a bad day at the park. Not a bad day. No. Not a bad day at all. And the fact okay. that he's found 399 other ones. Probably yeah, not that right. Size, he's found 400 still. diamonds. This yeah. has to be like, it, you know, his, his part-time job. Um, okay. <laughs> this one's all about New Mexico. So pretty bad news happened. Uh, pretty bad. Something pretty bad happened in Mexico early in the month. Uh, essentially four people. One of them being a woman. Uh, I, I think the other three were men. They were going there because the woman was going for a tummy tuck. They essentially crossed the border and were caught in uh, a gunfire exchange between members of the two different cartels. Two of them were killed. Two of them were kidnapped. kidnapped. And then um, they were later released. The cartel issued a statement apologizing because it, in their eyes it was an accident. And then turned over the men, the cartel members that actually committed those murders and kidnappings. Because even the cartel, uh, I guess, is a fan of American dollars in the form of tourism. So, yeah. And my understanding uh, is that they, the cartel members that attacked the vehicle, thought it was an opposing cartel's vehicle. Oh, I thought they were caught in crossfire. So you're no. saying that they were? I think it was specifically attacked, targeted, but it was an it, it was, was a misunderstanding. Mis yeah. yeah, misidentification. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I and they were actually traveling. Yeah, you said they were traveling for the um tummy, tummy tuck. tuck. So medical tourism is still a very interesting thing in Mexico. And I think it's still super interesting that the cartel turned over what was it like 10, 10 to 12 yeah. guys? Yeah. Um so this article is interesting because it tried to 
obviously this came into the news and it's going to impact Mexican tourism in some way. I'm not, I don't think by any means people are just going to stop going to Mexico, but I do think some people might read this and say, oh, it's too dangerous. This article made a point to go through the travel advisory issued by the State Department and essentially say it's only a few states in Mexico that are the problem. Most of Mexico is still safe. You should still come. And then went on to say something along the lines of these travel advisories that are issued for these six states in Mexico actually are similar to ones in, let's say, Europe, where people just assume that it's always safe. Yeah. Um, Right. They put it on the same level as like France and Germany. Right. Which France and Germany, like France right now, I don't know. We, France, we, we, yeah, we don't even have true. that argument. Yeah, we don't. I mean, sir, we don't even have that article. But yeah. France is undergoing some pretty scary riots right now over that um, uh, retirement increasing reform. retirement age. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I personally, and this is my very personal opinion. That's this whole podcast, Bob. I don't feel the need to go to Mexico. To me, I would. I would very much like to go to Oaxaca. I would like to go to Oaxaca. I don't feel the need to go there now or maybe in the near future. I'm thinking, though, um, I'm traveling with young kids, and I don't know. It, it is it is rubbing me the wrong way. And part of that's probably just like the media reporting on it, and so it's in my face. Whereas I haven't – I'm not paying attention to the media of Sweden maybe there's a lot of crime there as well i have no idea um so we also don't I, know what goes into the like we haven't done a deep dive into what goes into those travel ratings by the state department no but it does seem like that mexico has been in the news a lot lately with cartel issues we we talked about it last month i think of the cartel shooting at commercial airlines as they were flying away i read yeah. an article where um on this very popular beach, I think it was in Cancun or Playa de Carmen, you had this luxurious hotel where these men were selling drugs. A rival cartel came up onto the beach where tourists were hanging out, got off this dinghy, shot these guys dead, got back on the dinghy and left. And didn't touch a single other person, just went, killed the guys that were selling coke on their turf and got out of there. Um. Yeah, man. I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot going on there. Uh, I agree. I agree. And so, I, talk, let's let's move on to the next one. <laughs> you just want to move on. I think that's plenty I, of well. Plenty let me just say this. Let deaths. me just say this. I live 20 minutes from Philadelphia, and by no means is that city safe. You know, there's a lot of issues going on there as well. So it, it's all it's all about you know putting it in perspective. So let's move on. It is. All right. So the last article is about several near collision incidents. And Bob, as you were texting me while you were looking at this article, you were sitting in the airport and you felt really comfortable about boarding a plane. Uh, So there have been five near misses on runways in the U.S. in the last three months. Um, The first one was in Boston and a plane came within 500, two planes came within 565 feet of colliding. And that, well, first, let me just recap or preface this whole article by saying this is a lot, and we haven't had a major air disaster in the U.S. in a very long time, which is very incredible. And by accident, so the 9-11 hijackings is one thing, but like actual accidents is another, um, and we haven't had many. We have a very good 
travel advisory board. We have very good pilots. The training is incredible. And it's the reason why we have more miles or the least amount of accidents per mile than any other country. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It just feels like any day now. I don't know. Reading this did not make me feel super confident. And again, you're right. I was in the airport as I was typing this out, waiting at my terminal. You have Boston, two planes coming in within 500 feet of each other. In Hawaii, you have two planes coming within 1,100 feet of each other. New York City, JFK, four, two planes coming within 14 feet of each other. California, uh, it doesn't say how close they were. Neither plane was damaged. Nobody on board was hurt, but it looks like um, they almost collided. And then Texas, you've had plane two planes come within 100 feet of each other. You know, and and this is scary. Last week, we talked about the plane in Hawaii that the pilot, due to pilot error, did a nosedive of, and came within like 500 feet of hitting the water. Yeah. So Which wasn't just, even listed in here because it wasn't a near miss with two planes colliding. It was right. just a near miss with a plane colliding with the ground or Correct. water. All of these were near misses on the runway at the airport in America. Super close. Super scary. Like that's just, I don't know. Um, yeah. So if you look at if you look at airlines.org, they have a data set um, since 2000 of the safety record of U.S. air carriers, which is part 121 scheduled service. So I'm assuming that's passenger carriers. And they do an analysis of total accidents, accidents fatal, and then the fatal accidents per 100,000 departures. There haven't been any in 2020 or 2021. The last one was in 2018 and 2019. And before that, it was 2009. And it is... Uh, one fatal accident in each year of 2020, 2019, or sorry, 2019, 2018, and 2009. Uh, so in the last 15 years, there have only been three fatal accidents of major U.S. carriers. Pretty incredible. It pretty, is. Pretty amazing. So that wraps up the Travel Bites. We do not have any guests this month, but we may decide to re-release one of our earlier episodes for your pleasure. Uh, that has yet to be decided, so stay tuned after this for what that will be. And we appreciate you listening to our Travel Bites. We uh, love you guys being a fan of the show and listening every episode. If you want to support the podcast, you can do that with as little as a dollar a month for, through Buy Me a Coffee. Uh, it does help to go to software and uh, application costs anything that's monthly recurring. If you really want to help us out, spreading through word of mouth is fantastic. Reviews are great, either on iTunes or any other podcast platform and following us on our social media handles. That's it. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and tune into the next episode. Mm-hmm.